This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 96, and this is an Ask Ruffini session. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers and industry professionals. Information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast, and this is another Ask Ruffini session, and this session is brought to you by Boso Bamboo Drumsticks, the world's first full line of bamboo drumsticks, and you can check them out at bosodrumsticks.com and save 15% off your order by using the promo code PODCAST. Also, be sure to check out their new fixed-handle brushes available in 5A Strata and available in 5A Natural. BosoDrumsticks.com. Save 15% with the promo code PODCAST. Before we get started, I want to let everybody know that next Thursday, April 8th, I'll be teaching some live lessons at Drum Channel. So you can log on to DrumChannel.com and watch it 100% free, and it's 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time if you want to check that out. that's Again, that's April the 8th at 6 p.m. Now, this Ask Ruffini episodes, if you haven't heard the first one, basically I get a ton of emails. So I want to make sure that when instead of just answering the emails, I want to make sure that people are hearing my answers. So I decided to do this in a podcast form. So if you have questions, be sure to submit your questions to questions at drummersresource.com. And the first question from today is from John who said that he is currently struggling with creativity. He said, I find that I'm playing many of the same fills, although there are a few songs that my band plays where I make it a point to explore and change up the fills. This keeps it more interesting and allows me to be creative. So, John, here's my my advice about creativity around the kit. A couple things. One, I I think that a lot of people make the mistake of learning fills in their spare time and then trying to apply them to songs that they're playing and those fills may not necessarily be musical and they may not necessarily fit with the songs that you're playing. And a lot of times you'll find that if it's this, if it's this contrived thing and it's just, you know, some patterns that you've been studying on your spare time and you try to put them in with the song, they're not going to go. They're not going to, they're not going to sound right because the music is not dictating what you're playing. Now you're just trying to force something. It's almost like trying to, you know, put a round peg in a square or a square peg in a round hole. And so what I do is I listen to the music and I let the music dictate what I'm playing. And a good way to start with that kind of stuff is to take any melody, like a really simple melody, like Mary had a little lamb or take me out to the ball game or something like that. And just play the rhythmic figures without, you know, moving it around the kit or anything, you could just play it on a practice pad. So if you have something like Mary had a little lamb, you know, just playing da 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 and then start taking that melody and start adding different things to it. So you may add some doubles in there, you may add some paradiddles in there, you may start moving it around the kit. And that's a good way to start working with melody and start hearing melody. And then the creativity comes naturally from what the music does. So it dictates what you play rather than you forcing this thing into your playing. Um, And then also, I I did an interview with Stanton Moore, if you want to check that out uh, on drummersresource.com. 
And he talks about, you know, being inspired and getting creativity by just by just going to one fill or something that, you know, like Elvin Jones did or one figure or one phrase and really learning it and and really mastering um, that sort of thing. And that sort starts to to get you thinking differently and think of different voicings and how you express things around the kit. So, you know, and the fills that you have now, you should start trying to figure out how you can voice them differently on different different parts of the drums. And also if you can start using different stickings and start playing, maybe using the same sticking, but playing a melody within that sticking or something like that. Um, so I hope that helps try that stuff out. And if you have any more questions, just shoot me an email, Nick at drummers But I think that'll kind of lead you in the, in the right directions in terms of creativity and really playing musically inside of those songs with your band. All right, the next question is from Brian. Brian said, I'm a fairly new drummer. I have issues separating my bass drum foot from my hi-hats with my right hand on certain songs that have extra bass beats. Well, this is a common problem that a lot of people have, especially people uh, who are you know new to, to playing. Uh, it's just an independence issue, a dexterity issue, separating your hands and your feet. A few things that I can suggest. Uh, one, I would check out Gary Chafee's book called Patterns, and... He has a system of basically playing a pattern with your right hand or playing a pattern with your right hand and your left hand and then moving the bass drum underneath of it from playing it on the one and then the E and then the and and then the uh. And if you go to drummersresource.com forward slash bass drum figures, I shoot I shot some videos on YouTube um of me playing these Gary Chafee exercises. And then you can also Google Gary Chafee's exercises as well on YouTube. And it's just a systematic way of moving the bass drum underneath of what you're playing. So you really start to get control of separating your hands and your feet. Also, I have an ebook. If you go to drummersresource.com, you can download for free. And there's some hand and foot combinations in there. And the key to all of this stuff is just practice, 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 and really work on just separating that hand and foot. And it sounds, you know, I, I know that you, I'm sure that you were looking for like a simpler uh, answer or a, a, an easier fix, but the reality of it is, man, is just, you just gotta, you gotta practice it, but you have to have something that you're practicing that is specifically made to help you separate your hands and your feet. So check out drummersresource.com forward slash bass drum figures or check out Gary Chafee's Patterns book or check out my ebook that you can get from drummersresource.com 100% free. And I hope that helps. And if you have any questions, you know, obviously you can shoot me an email. But uh, yeah, man, it's just going to it's going to take some time. But stick stick with it, man. You'll get there. The next question is from John. John says, the main issues I'm having is adding fast or quick drum fills in my playing. I get a nice beat going. And when I try to add a quick fill such as triplets or other quick fills, I lose it. So a uh, couple things. One, I would suggest checking out your left hand and seeing, or your le- your non dominant hand. So if you're right handed, check out your left hand. If you're left hand, if you're left handed, check out your right hand. And you're, because you're only going to be as fast as your slowest hand. So if you can play, you know, eighth notes at 150 beats a minute on your right, but you can only play eighth notes at 90 beats per minute with your left, guess what? You're only going to be able to play single strokes at 90 beats a minute because your left hand is not going to be able to keep up or your right hand, depending on which one is your weak hand. So one, check out that. Make sure that 
you can you have even speed with your left and your right hands. Uh, another thing is, chances are if you're trying to do things that you haven't worked around the kit, then jumping from zero to you know fast from slow to fast isn't isn't going to work for you. So. What I would suggest is anything that you're trying to work around the kit, start it slow and gradually increase. Uh, take a metronome, you know, put it at something really slow, like 40 or 50 beats a minute. Start working out the pattern so at least your body starts to know what it feels like to work this stuff around the kit. And even if you can do it on a pad, you know, there's things that I can do on a pad at 200 beats a minute and then I move them to the kit and I can't do them faster than 100 beats a minute because I haven't practiced really working them around the kit. And I'm not necessarily big on learning one way of playing things around the kit either. So I would suggest, you know, being able to voice the things any way that you want. So you, if you take a paradiddle and you just have it on the snare and then you move one hand to the tom and you can play it at 220 beats a minute between the, the snare and the tom, but you can't move it anywhere else, then it doesn't really do anything for you because it's not going to fit musically when you need it to. Um, so I would suggest, yeah, taking it really, really slow, taking the pattern and really getting, you know, the muscle memory, so to speak, of learning how to play, moving it around the kit. Because once you take it from a pad and move it to a kit, now you have another element involved because you have this movement now. So you have lateral movement, you have, you know, you're moving side to side, you're moving up and down. So your body is just, you know, if you're working out off of a pad, your body is just used to doing it without having to really move around. Um, so start slow, take it at, at 50 and you can get a metronome that has like an accelerator on it. So maybe start it at 50, you know, and, and every 10 to 15 bars, raise it by two beats a minute. So I think the biggest mistake that I see with people trying to work things out around the kit is that they play the pattern two or three times. They say, okay, I know how to play the pattern. Now I'm going to play it at warp speed. And it just, it falls apart really quickly because you're not, you're not giving your brain and your body a chance to learn it. So you're actually doing yourself a disservice by trying it really fast and, and practicing it really fast. You have to work your way up to that. So get on a metronome really slow, painfully slow, you know, 40, 50, 60 beats a minute, work it out slowly around the kit and then slowly, slowly, slowly start to increase the speed. Uh, and then, you know, I think that once you go back and try to pull this stuff out when you're playing, then it should be there. Um, but just as a sidebar, I'm not really big on just playing a groove and saying, now I'm going to do that fill that I know. Or, you know, I, I talked about it a little bit early in the podcast, too. So whatever you're doing, please make sure you're trying to do it musically as well. But sometimes it is fun to just blaze around the kit when you're by yourself, too. So, uh, yeah, break out the metronome, work it around the kit at a slow pace, and I hope that helps. The next question is from Daniel, and he poses an interesting question. And this is about playing for free and playing for exposure. And, you know, places have a lot of, you know, places that have a lot of leverage, and they say, well, you can play, but we're not going to pay you anything. Um, and this is kind of a heated topic that, that was brought up on the Facebook page a couple of days ago because I posted an article. I didn't write the article, but it was about why you should stop playing for free. So let me give you my thoughts on it uh, because I've definitely played my fair share of free gigs. And here's, here's my thoughts. So there's a couple different types of gigs. You have a gig that pays really well, 
but doesn't really give you any exposure. Then there's other gigs that don't pay very well, but they give you a lot of exposure. And then there's other gigs that don't pay well and they don't give you exposure. So, and then there's the ones that pay really well and give you a ton of exposure. And obviously those are the ones that we want to shoot for. But when you're trying to figure out whether something is worth playing for free or not, this is my take on it. If you are a young player and you want to get experience playing live, I think in certain certain situations it's okay to play gigs for free. I mean, when I was like 15, 16, 17 years old, I played anywhere I could, anytime I could, and I did it for free. Not mainly because I wanted to get experience playing live. The only way you get experience playing live is playing live. So in certain situations, yeah, I think it's okay to play gigs for free. Now, if you are a professional, if you are have been playing for years, you're gigging out, I think that you really need to stand up for yourself and say, no, I'm not going to play for free. Um, you know, like if the Red Hot Chili Peppers called me and asked me to open up and asked my band to open up for them and they weren't going to pay us, I'd probably do those gigs because they would be huge exposure. Prime example, if you play on the Super Bowl, you do not get paid. I don't know if you guys know that or not, but that is a free gig and that is an exposure gig big time. Uh, I don't think there's anybody out there who wouldn't play that gig for free because of all the exposure that you get. So you sort of have to figure out whether it's if you're really going to get exposure, if there's a bar down the street from your house and it's just a regular bar that no, you know, it's just people come in once in a while and it's just a normal bar. And they're like, we want you to come in and play for free. Me personally, I would say absolutely not. There's no way that I'm going to do it because the bar is going to make money. They're going to charge a cover charge, all that stuff. And if they're not willing to pay the band, then I'm not willing to go in there and work and and have the bar make money and I do it for free. And, you know, there was a post that went around. I think it flowed around on social media about a guy sent out an email to restaurants saying, hey, listen, uh, or I know you're a new restaurant and I want you to come in. A bunch of my friends are having a party and I want you to come in and uh, and, you know, cater the whole event. And if we like your catering, then we'll hire you down the road for other catering events. But we want you to come in to do this for free to get exposure in the neighborhood. And Obviously, no restaurant would ever do that because, you know, they want to get paid for their services. And you're no different as a musician. And I learned a long time ago from one of my mentors, Glenn Farrakhan. He said, you have to realize that this is you're a professional and this is your whether you know, whether you do this as a full time job or not, you're you're a skilled person. You've done you've taken the time to study all this stuff and to learn the music and and, and you know, master your craft and you should be compensated for that, especially if other people are going to be making money off of it, then you should definitely be getting paid. That's just my opinion. You know, if it's for a charity, I totally am 100% on board with playing charity events for free. Uh, I've done multiple, multiple charity events and, uh, you know, and didn't take a dime. And I am okay with that. Um, I'm not saying that you there's not a time and a place to play for free, but if it's just to like, get your foot in the door. You know, I grew up in Philadelphia and there was a lot of clubs in Philadelphia that were, you know, famous or, you know, had a, had a name to them. Um, and everybody wanted to play there and we would play there with our band and there's nobody there. They have no walk-in traffic at all. So there's nobody there. 
you play for 45 minutes and you don't get paid anything. To me, that's a pointless gig. You're not, you know, you're not in front of anyone. You're not making any money. So you might as well stay home and practice. Uh, and I'm sure I'm going to get some heat for this because people are going to say there's no such thing as a pointless gig. But as far as I'm concerned, I think that that is a waste of time unless you really just want to play at that bar. Uh, that's cool. If you can get a hundred people out and they're going to pay you a bunch of money, then that's, that's another story. But, um, so this is sort of a roundabout answer because you know, I think at the end of the day, it depends. And I think that you should use your best judgment, but the whole, like come down to our bar, play for free. Maybe we'll hire you later on or something like that. Uh, come in every Wednesday, you know, we have rehearsal nights and you can have your band come in. They're basically getting free entertainment and they're making all the money. So that is something that I do not subscribe to and I don't really suggest that you do. So if someone asks you for a gig, you should evaluate it on this scale. Are we going to make money or are we going to get exposure? One of the other. If you're not making money and you're not getting exposure, I don't see what the point of playing the gig is. Unless, like I said, you're really, really new to the game and you just want to get some exposure playing out. And I totally think that that's fine. But, you know... Uh, if, if, if there's no exposure involved and no money involved, then what's the point? You got to get one, at least one of those. You got to either get money or the exposure, something. So I hope that sort of clears things up and I'm sure that I'm going to catch a little bit of heat for this answer, but that's how I feel. I mean, that's the truth. And I'm not, not that I'm saying that you got to be money hungry and, and anything like that, but, but you should at least, you know, not devalue what you do because at the end of the day, if everybody starts playing for free and everybody starts saying, oh, I'll do that gig for, you know, the band will do it for 50 bucks or, you know, whatever, then then it hurts everyone and it devalues what we do as musicians and it also takes money out of musicians' pockets uh, extremely, extremely. Like I've seen it at clubs around uh, the Philadelphia area that younger bands come in and they undercut everyone because they're willing to do it for cheaper. And then it sort of sets a standard and there's a precedent that, you know, the clubs don't want to pay as much because they can get somebody else to do it. So uh, not big on the free gig. So if anybody wants to, you know, debate this, talk about it, uh, shoot me an email, nick at drummersresource.com. And if you have any other questions, send them to questions at drummersresource.com. I'm going to keep doing these Ask Rafini episodes. I got good feedback on the first one, and I've gotten a ton of questions uh, that, I'll be, that I'll be answering soon. So as always, thank you so much for listening. Some more, submit your questions, excuse me, to questions at drummersresource.com. And check me out on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash drummersresource, on Instagram at drummersresource, and on Twitter at drummersrsource. And until the next podcast, thank you so much for listening, and I hope that you enjoy your weekend. And check me out on Drum Channel April 8th at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I'll be talking to you soon. Peace. Peace.